0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case, sitting today in the studio with Trevor Conner, Ryan Kohler, and Jana Martin. We, the four of us, all selected many months ago our N1 challenge. N of one was the premise. We are all an experiment of one, but our experiences, our training methodology, our training experiences offer lessons for all. Today we want to do a bit of a mid-season check-in. Maybe it's a little bit later than mid-season for some of us. Our races are coming up. We want to discuss some of the themes we've seen emerge from our discussions as a group as we've prepared for these different races. These themes, you know, we we come back from our weekends and we sit down and one of the first things we do because we like to ride bikes is we say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? If we haven't ridden with each other, hey, where'd you go? Hey, how much did you climb? Hey, how much did you hurt yourself this weekend? And we share these stories and there, out of those conversations have emerged these these major themes, and they're just very appropriate to talk about for uh, an episode like this because they are fundamental to everybody's training process, and we want to offer some more lessons from that. If you've seen any of our Fast Talk Laboratories videos lately, you've seen our colorful new cycling kits from Panache Cycleware. Founded a mile or two from our headquarters in downtown Boulder, Colorado, Panache crafts its team and club kits from high-end Italian fabrics and chamois pads designed to perform to the highest standards. From Panache, you can expect supreme comfort and vibrant colors. Whether you're a roadie, cross racer, or simply prefer to tear up some gravel back roads, Panache Cyclewear has a style for you. See their new designs, patterns, and accessories at PanacheCycleware.com. I want to kick things off by turning to Jana, representing the new cyclist amongst the four of us. She's, she's a beginner. Let's just – she's a beginner. Even though she has an athletic background, she's a beginner when it comes to cycling. Jana, tell us a bit about the theme that we want to address at, uh, that, has, that has come out of your training and the lessons you've learned
1: Yeah, I think I've learned a lot, probably more than anyone here, because I also have the most to learn. I think the biggest theme in my mind has been the intensity factor, both the intensity of how fast and hard the first race was that I did, as well as the intensity of structured riding. So structured intervals rather than just going kind of hard for part of a climb sometimes when I feel like it, Mm -hmm. which is what I was more used to learning how in that same vein also to ride slow, the long, slow distance ride, learning how slow that actually is, that you actually probably need to look down regularly and see if you're keeping your heart rate low enough because it's pretty easy in my experience to get a little bit too high without even noticing it.
0: And and to remind people, you have chosen a 65-mile gravel race as your it isn't going to be your first bike race anymore because you did one, which was a, which was a great lesson for you in itself. But this is – we're talking about a single-day event that maybe takes you four hours. Maybe it takes you five hours. Maybe it takes you only three hours if you're really feeling good that day. But that's what we're, we're talking about for context.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Crooked gravel is also going to be in Winter Park, which is at elevation. And I haven't done much elevation training yet. So those lessons are coming soon, hopefully, uh, when the snow melts. And then the nutrition lessons. I haven't spent a whole lot of time actually putting those lessons into practice yet. But I have worked with Ryan uh, and wrote an article about some of the major concepts that are really important when looking at a race of this length. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So Trevor we want to walk through each of these major concepts and, and Jenna has just offered us a lot as she said she's learning a, a heck of a lot because she's new to all of this. We want to walk through each of us give a sort of a take home message for for Jenna's theme what what would you offer here for for uh, listeners?
2: I think Jenna is learning the lesson that everybody learns when they start out or should learn when they start out. I would say some people probably never fully learn it, so uh, full credit to Jana for for getting there so quickly. But there is that temptation when you go out and ride to kind of make all rides the same. You sort of go hard. You sort of go easy. It's a bit of a mix of everything. It's a lot of fun. And certainly when you're new to cycling, you can do that for a bit and, and see improvements. But Jana has quickly discovered after doing her first race that if she wants to raise her level... She needs to be a little more structured. I'm not saying she needs to sit there every single ride and go, I have to do this. I have to do that. It's just adding a little bit of structure. So when she does intervals, she now has a plan to them. And and my understanding is instead of she used to go and do intervals and go, well, Ryan kind of told me to do this, but I want to do this more. She's more kind of going, well, Ryan told me to do this, so I did this. Right, And when you go out for your easy rides, except when you're going up the wall on Flagstaff and Chris <laughs> passes you, uh, you're, you're keeping them easy.
1: I'm trying. And I'm also learning to be a little forgiving with myself. You know, Ryan is always so encouraging. Even if I come and talk to him after the weekend and I say, oh, I totally blew up that LSD ride. And he's just like, yeah, it's okay. Try again next time. And I really appreciate that attitude, especially as a beginner.
0: Yeah. Ryan, what would you add here in terms of how much and how important structure and planning are to somebody at her, at, at Jana's level?
3: Yeah. So I think Trevor and Jana are bringing up good things here that it's like Jana's building the structure in there. And yeah, Trevor, you're saying how you're learning how to take, how to apply that, that structure and say, oh yeah, I should be doing this. So let me focus more on getting these particular intervals done in a certain way. And I think that's what I'm seeing here is that the structure and the planning are those keys. And with with new riders i think it's they're bombarded with a lot of information on training and and there's all this new information that you can consume so i think it's easy to try and take all of that and try to do everything like the right way so i think what you were saying janna about being more forgiving being more flexible take those fundamental principles and i think you're you're applying them well and you have that flexibility built in now where you say, okay, I know what the overall goal is. I know how I should do this, but you're giving yourself that flexibility and yeah, essentially that forgiveness, like you said, to know, okay, things are going to happen and you're going to then work into your own structure that becomes like your method. And it doesn't have to be this textbook method of any sort, but you take from that and build what works for you to to get the gains you need.
0: And I would... Add to that and and, um, you guys can disagree with me if you'd like but I think a beginner not only should be more forgiving with themselves as they try to learn how to train because there is an art and a science to that. But they should also be uh, forgiving in terms of kind of throwing all that stuff out too. You don't want to lose the fun which is why you got into it to begin with, by allowing yourself to be bombarded by the information or allowing yourself to, to say, this is the plan, intensity's on the plan today, I must do it and get into that, ha- that really bad habit of what's on paper is what I must do or else I've failed. So I think that's an important lesson here as well.
2: Yeah, I think to, if you asked a beginner to train the way a pro does, most beginners would quit cycling within a month.
0: Yeah, right, right. To
2: do that sort of structure, that sort of sacrifice, that sort of uh, just commitment to the riding. Uh, I actually think that's something you have to grow into and decide you want first. The way I explain it when when I'm working with beginners is I have seen beginners or or worked with beginners where I I will look at their files and training peaks and they'll have one ride listed as a high-intensity ride one ride listed as their easy ride and, and I will literally, I will take a screen capture of the heart rate, power profile of both, put them side by side, email back to them and go, tell me which one was the easy ride because mm-hmm. they look identical and that's, if you're a beginner, that's sort of the level we're talking about here. We don't want to see what, what looks like a pros workout. We just want to see the high intensity ride. If you look at that heart rate, power profile, you can tell that Yeah, that was a good hard ride. And when it's an easy ride, you can look in and go, yeah, that was a pretty easy ride. They should not be looking the same. And that's really, you know, the the sort of granularity that, that I'm okay with when you're starting out. You can still keep the fun, but just get
0: in that notion of, at my hard days, at my easy days. Absolutely. Very good. Let's turn our attention to Ryan. Ryan, you've chosen a six-day mountain bike stage race, Breck Epic, also at altitude. Big, big... uh big meal you've chosen to, to chew on here. What have you learned? You are a time crunched athlete. You've got a couple kids at home. You've got a, a job. You're running around coaching uh, juniors. What, what have you learned?
3: Yeah, my eyes may have been bigger than my stomach with this one. (laughs) No, come on, you're going to do great. Yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, coming from the time crunched perspective of it, one of the major points is that I have the ability to commute and I have consistent training time with the junior team, like you said. So what it's allowed me to do is build in a structure that's now becoming a new normal. So when I can commute, and build that structure around the training, that's my consistency. And it turns out that it, it turns out to be more within the weekdays that I can find a lot of that, what I was doing in the past and started to fall into this, even the, over the spring of this year, and then finally noticed it. It only took, I don't know how many seasons to figure it out, but. I've always had that structure with the junior coaching. So this gives me either a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or a Monday through Thursday, a great block of multiple days to get in building the commuting on that. I can get the consistency. So that allows flexibility in how I can build intervals in what I've done in the past is that I would continue to strive for those bigger weekends as well. And then recovery would become an issue and then I would get stale. And this was the theme over, like I said, multiple seasons. The light bulb finally came on this year. So I was able to see that, really start looking at the training differently and using these blocks, looking at recovery and seeing that, okay, I'm tired when I come out of Thursday after that last training session. So I've started to take actually more days off the bike and just build in additional recovery. So when, what I'm finding is by doing that, it it's really prioritizing the mental aspect of recovery. It's less about the physical for me because I don't have – tons of hours on the bike. So what I'm finding is that the mental recovery is just as important, if not more important in a time crunch scenario, because that's where I notice like mood would change, things like that, where you just feel a little bit stale, but then you still have that mindset of, Oh, I need to go hit the big weekend ride. So I can tell Chris on Monday morning, the cool things I did <laughs> and how much verbal oh, I
0: I've been putting the pressure on you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. All
3: your bike packing adventures. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, that would go into have that mental stress of, oh, now I need to keep doing these big weekend rides. But what, I'm, what I've am what i shifted to is to just pull back on that and actually take more days off and just put the bike away until I'm mentally fresher. And that way when I come out, yeah, there's these longer days. I just had a four day block where I put the bike away completely and actually came out of that feeling fresher than I have in the last few months. So this is really a new a new way I'm looking at training and a new approach to it that I think is going to help because now I can get, say, three or four days in a row, midweek, maybe get a long weekend ride in, but I'm not shooting for Saturday and Sunday big rides anymore. It just doesn't happen.
0: So I feel like there's an overall theme to this episode, which is the the the, the crucial nature of making a an assessment somewhere in the midst of your training. Maybe it's a mid check-in. Maybe it's earlier or later than that. But at some point, you have to ask the question, am I on track or am I off track and adjust accordingly. You have to drill down as well, I feel, into every week of your training and and ask those same questions. Am I on track? Am I off track? Did something at work come into my life that threw those puzzle pieces, uh, scattered them all over the calendar, and now I have to replace them in in a different way? So my point is... As a time-crunched athlete, Ryan, and I would throw myself into that same category, um, the commuting can fit in, the recovery aspect that you're bringing in, these are all things that you just – honestly, just they're just in the back of your head almost all the time and you have to let life enter into the equation and then you have to spit out a new answer like kind of uh, constantly today everything's looking good, had a good night's sleep, got my breakfast in that I wanted, ride went well, great, check that off, move on to the next day, move on to the next day, and so on and so forth. And I I really do like the fact that you're saying the weekend warrior attitude doesn't work for you, and it's actually the weekday warrior that you've turned yourself into because that's more effective, more efficient um, and it's just what your body is needing and craving. Um, and, and so many of us, I think, struggle to fit it in during the week and then cram every weekend. And you get into that pattern and it, you get stale or you overdo it or it just isn't as effective anymore. So, Jenna, I know you also use commutes. You've already mentioned that. How have you been able to uh, incorporate that into training effectively?
1: Yeah, I think that even though I'm not time crunched in the sense that I don't have family and kids, uh, it's always great to be efficient with your time. And the commutes have been great to do some intervals on. Not only does it make the commute go literally faster, I've gotten some commute PRs doing intervals on the (laughs) way home. Commute PRs, I like it. Um, But, you know, it's also mentally goes faster and, you know, you get into that mode and it's almost kind of fun when you get into it. Another thing I've done is I've added at least one day, more days coming, one day climbing a little bit on the way home because we are right here at the base of a few of the best climbs in Boulder. So it's not too difficult or time-consuming to just tack on a few minutes, 20, 30, something like that on the way home sometimes. Right. And
0: to do this effectively – I would refer everybody to listen to the episode we just put out a couple weeks ago with Neil Henderson on two a days, because this is essentially what we're talking about. If you are a commuter to and from work and there's good ways to do that. And there's some potentially bad ways to do that. Trevor, what would you add to this conversation here about the importance of, of fitting in the puzzle pieces, picking your work carefully, that sort of thing?
2: I think you covered most of it. I just say if you are time crunched, you're gonna have to be creative. Figure out the the ways you can be more efficient with your time. So using your commutes. Uh I know when I was up in Toronto, a lot of the athletes up there just got up really early in the morning and went for their rides, which has its own challenges but can work. I would just caution against the I have limited time, so what I'm gonna do is Hop on the trainer and do a virtual race every single day and just go hard all the time. That is the temptation. I get that temptation. Uh, I particularly when I talk with time-crunched athletes and I say, "Well, you need to do an easy ride." They go, "But I have so little time. Is that really giving me any gains?" Answer that question is yes. You still. uh, This is my belief. Uh, We've had these longer conversations, but. I still think limiting yourself to those two, three hard intensity sessions a week and making it the rest, making the rest of it easy, even if you're only training six hours a week Mm -hmm. is still the better way to go.
0: Last week, we announced to members the release of our new cycling interval training pathway. Pathways are a new way to explore concepts, master skills, and solve training challenges. Our new cycling interval training pathway begins with the basics of interval workouts and progresses to more advanced details. How to flawlessly execute interval workouts. Which intervals bring which adaptations. And how to analyze your interval workout performance. Over 21 articles, interviews, workshops, and workouts, our new cycling interval training pathway offers you the chance to master cycling's most critical and nuanced workout format. Learn more about pathways and see our introduction at FastTalkLabs.com. Slash pathways. All right, let's turn our attention to you now, Trevor, and some of the lessons you've learned in your training as you prepare for your N1 challenge, which is the Joe Martin stage race out in Arkansas.
2: I am gonna to read to you the lesson I have learned, which to me is a really valuable lesson, and it's one that you don't fully get, I'm discovering, until you learn it yourself. So A book that I absolutely love, this is a book I read early in my cycling career that made a big impact on me is Jack Daniel's Running Formula. And he has his first chapter, he starts by explaining the 10 principles of training. And this is actually my, this book was my first exposure to the the overload principle, a lot of these principles we talk about. But he had a 10th principle, which unfortunately he took out of later versions of the book, which I wish he would put back in. And it's the the name of the principle is time erodes memory. And he says, runners tend to forget how hard they trained early in their career. When they are disappointed by how difficult it is to make a comeback, this is the time erodes memory principle. This is what I am experiencing. So any of you out there who are been around as long as I have and you're, you're trying that comeback, the lesson here is you can get to ninety percent of your potential. So if you take the level that you can hit in a given year, you can get to that ninety percent. It relatively easy. I mean it takes hard work, you gotta be dedicated, but it's it's not a huge struggle. I am discovering to get that extra ten percent
0: Exponentially harder.
2: Exponentially harder. And and what I'm discovering is the level of commitment it takes, the level of fatigue that you have to put yourself through. And that's really dangerous because it's differentiating that this is good, hard training fatigue from, oh boy, I'm starting to cook myself and I didn't do a great job this spring. I did go over the razor's edge a little bit. Uh, just you know, uh, I, I eat generally pretty well, but we have plenty of days where we're, as, as happened today, I have to go and run and grab a slice of pizza from downstairs because I don't have a lot of time. All these little things that are usually okay if you want to hit that 90 percent, not okay anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that would be my lesson here for you. You've already said it, but that last 10 percent is walking on the edge. You're walking on the edge. To get it, you have to take some – there's risk. There's more risk involved than yes. it was with the 90 the percent. You have to have discipline. You have to do all the quote, – quote, unquote, do all the things right, whatever that is. You can't really cut the corners. And by that, that's either nutrition or sleep or foam rolling or whatever it is that gets you to um, tick off those last few percentage points. That is a it, – yeah, it's a – I don't want to be too dramatic, but I guess it's, a, it's kind of a dangerous place. Right.
2: So this has reminded me of something I used to say to athletes. All, so when I was working with development athletes who were trying to go pro, when I was working with Team Rio Grande, with you know with these riders that were trying to hit the, the high levels, there was a talk I used to give, which I completely forgotten about, and I got reminded about it now, which is, you know, I'd tell them to get to that level, to get to the level you want to achieve. So to get to your 100% of what you're capable of, you have to train at a level that is actually not sustainable for your body. Mm -hmm. And then you have to use all the other things, the sleep, recovery, nutrition, uh, intelligence, intelligence and how you're training to basically get your body to be able to go through it and handle it. So that's the difference between getting to that 100% versus the 90%. The 90% is something your body can handle, that you can sustain, to get that little extra bit Yeah, you're taking risks. You're pushing a a level that if you do it wrong, if you're not really careful, you're going to pay a price. And and I I wasn't as good about it as I wanted to be this spring and did pay a bit of a price for it. So I'm now learning, making some adjustments, but remembering, boy, I used to make a lot of sacrifices. Mm. Boy, I I, I had to do a lot of things a lot more perfectly than I am now. Mm -hmm.
0: I think what also makes this extremely difficult is how do you actually identify 100% you know what i'm saying like you could think you're at 100% already and then some other coach could come along or some method come come along or some training tweak could come along and you could actually gain 2% and then you weren't at 100% you were only at 98% yeah and the the that the, you can have that kind of an endless conversation with yourself what else could i do to get that left out of myself. And that's, that's really, you know, then you're really talking about dangerous places that you would go.
2: I remember going out to dinner with the center back in, I think this was 2005 and Roland Green joined us. And this is right after he had been two-time world uh, mountain bike champion. And at the time I was thinking, man, I couldn't train any harder. Like I am just tired, beat up all the time and sat beside Roland and we got into a conversation about training and he started telling me how much core work he did. Mm -hmm. Like if he was watching TV, he wasn't on the couch. He was on the floor doing core while he's watching TV and realized, oh, I guess I could train hard. I'm a lazy bum (laughs) compared to this. Yeah. And I, I started doing the same thing. If I was watching TV, I started doing core work. So I went from doing probably 30 minutes of core work a week to doing five hours of core work a week. And sure enough, I got stronger. I went, oh, I can train harder. But you're right. There is, you, you keep finding these little things. There is a point where your body is going to react to
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think, Ryan, that brings up a point you wanted to make about how do you figure out the rest component to this, Right. Yeah, I mean, we've looked
3: at some of your old training files as you're going going through the process, and I think they're from what ten years ago? Or yeah, so, two thousand
2: nine right? was what I was showing you.
3: Yeah, so I mean, so from there, I mean, we're looking back to see, well, what what is that ten percent? What do you have to do to get some of those pieces of fitness back? So yeah, that's brought up the question of of how do you balance that need now from for the additional rest with the search for that ten percent? There's it's a, a totally different uh, lifestyle now.
2: Yep. And another factor to bring into this is just knowing where you're at. Uh, I haven't been at that level for a while. I'm also a lot older. So I looked at what I was doing in 2009 and said, if I tried to do exactly this, uh, I would just be a piece of jelly on the floor. <laughs> it would be all over. Uh, so I'll give it I didn't use TSS back then, but it was interesting to look at the TSS. And back then, what I considered a just standard easy, or not easy, but a standard training week, you know, didn't beat me up, wasn't that, was 900, 950 TSS, which is big. Mm -hmm. You know, I look, right now I'm, so this whole spring I was just doing 700, 750 TSS every week going, boy, I'm training hard. Mm -hmm. And then when I looked at that and my big weeks back then were like 1,200, 1,300, Mm -hmm. this would absolutely kill me. But also realizing I got to do that sort of training, to, to get to the highest level, to get to, to accomplish this N1 challenge. I have to do something like that. So what Ryan and I concocted is back then, I probably body recovered a little better. I probably didn't need as much rest. So I could do week in, week out like that. I need to do weeks like that now. But what I should be doing is like two weeks at 900, 950 TSS and then a good recovery week, and then another two weeks, maybe three weeks uh, at that higher level, and then recovery. Uh, and that's probably what's going to have to be different now from then. And I think part of the mistake I made this spring was just const- not realizing I need that more frequent rest and trying to train at that 750 TSS but doing it every single week. Mm-hmm. That still beat me up.
1: Right,
0: Jana, you as a beginner here... Does this frighten you this talk of the 90% and the final 10%? What what are your thoughts?
1: It doesn't really because I think I know already that I don't necessarily see myself going for that 10%. I think I went all the way for 100% before in another sport when I was a figure skater and I'm not really looking to replicate that. I I am just trying to learn all that there is to learn in this 90% first, And there's so that's, much.
0: That's a prudent
1: approach. <laughs> there's so much of that that I still don't, I haven't implemented yet into my training. So I think I feel like I have a lot of work cut out for me. And who knows what could change in the future. But for now, the 90% is quite a buffet to choose from.
0: <laughs> I, and I think that's a great point, honestly. The, the final 10% isn't for everyone. It shouldn't be for everyone. It starts to, you know, we're talking about the being on the edge and it being having some potential for danger and stuff. I think it also takes some of the fun out of it or a lot of the fun out of it.
2: So Ryan and I were talking about that as well. And I I said that flat out, which is if I'm successful, this is remarkably rewarding. You're going to be able to at at 50, if I can achieve this, go to a race like Joe Martin and be competitive. That's going to feel amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is not fun.
0: <laughs> right, right,
2: you know, right. The training at 90%, that was fun. What I'm doing now, this is hard work. Mm. Yeah. So, anybody who's listening to this, if you are thinking about this, be aware of that. This is the, the benefits are otherwise. There, there is reward, but not enjoyment. Mm. Yeah. Not really. Right, mm. right. So, Chris, this is probably a good segue to you because you're taking a very different approach where I'm tr- being very now results oriented. Uh, and and very, very structured and directed. You've kind of moved away from that, let's try to be competitive to this more experiential type thing. That's a huge challenge in itself. You're basically biking around Ireland Ireland, and not the shortest route. Right, 2,500K, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you, you look at your profile and you're touching almost every part of the whole island. That's a, a huge challenge, but it's a very different challenge. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's motivating you and what you're learning from it
0: yeah the the motivation is to do something that i'm not sure I can do you know to explore my limits as an athlete uh, my potential as an athlete and and honestly just explore a place in a you know a, in a new genre entirely of of racing a bike um, one of the most critical things i've learned or actually questions I've been asking myself is to put it more accurately as I've been training for this is how much recovery do you actually need when you've upped your volume so much or if you've put in these training camps or particular blocks where you're stacking days together how do you how much recovery do you need I think the maybe even more important question is how do you actually determine what you need um, and I know that there are, um, there's data you could look at, there's feeling, there's questionnaires you can take. There's a lot of tools, but none of them is going to tell you, you've done this much work, you need this much rest. A whoop strap might give you an indication that, it, or your Garmin, when you finish the ride, it says you need 36 hours of recovery. Okay, sure. That's not all that accurate how much stock do you actually put in that? So that's the question I've been asking myself over and over again. I come out of this long uh eleven-day training block that I put together for myself, capped it off with a huge ride from Wyoming uh, to Wyoming and back, which was uh, an eleven-hour day or something like that. And I think to myself, well, I'll definitely take a couple days off the bike, and then. Two days go by, I get back on the bike, I feel okay. Um, but by the end of that week, I feel like garbage. And I'm like, oh shit, did I come back too soon? You start you start doubting what you've done. Um, and I know that there's a reason for this. Maybe Trevor, you can explain why somebody goes through this interesting undulation in terms of how they feel after, after a, 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 a workload of that size.
2: Recovery is a really strange thing because you're – Feelings are going to fool you. Generally, you feel the opposite of what's actually going on. So when your body is in recovery doing its repair work, you feel lousy. Mm -hmm. When your body is really damaged and heading towards that cliff, you feel amazing. So this throws a lot of people off because when they finally are convinced to go and do a recovery week, they get to the end of the recovery and go, oh, that felt awful. Why would I ever want to do that to myself? <laughs> right, right. And look, you do a good recovery week, you're going to come out of it feeling pretty flat, not mm-hmm. feeling great. Bike's, riding the bike's going to hurt. And unfortunately, a lot of people feel that and go, well, I never want to feel that way again. So that was a mistake. And they're very reluctant to take that time off. Right. So you had probably done some good damage to your body. And then you did that rest, and we've talked about this a bunch of times. Your body has those natural painkillers. They all got sucked up, and you're not, they're not flowing very well anymore. So you get back on the bike going, oh, I'm recovered. I got all this rest. Well, now you're feeling every little bit of pain. Now you're feeling all every little ache, and you just don't feel that good on the bike.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, we had this very timely forum post that came up recently questioning how do you know that you're assimilating training, and I think it goes to this of how do you know that you you need recovery? How do you know when you 're coming out of recovery it was It was from the uh the recent podcast with Dr. San Milan where he talked about monitoring training, but I think it's interesting for you where you don't really train with data, so you have to find those other sources to inform you. And I'm a big fan of, of mood, you know, whether we track it or not, or we just sort of keep this tally in the back of our mind. But it brings up the question of, yeah, what are there specific sensations or specific, you know, moods that you see that you can target and say, oh yeah, when I feel like this, then I need more time off. Or when I, you know, when I, when I feel like this, then I know I'm still okay and I can go train, but yeah. How do you break that down?
0: I think, you know, to, to, to bring it back to me for just a second, and everybody might have their own method, especially if you're denying yourself the tools of data, which can only take you so far. But it's a conversation. As strange as it sounds, I think you have to have a conversation with your body. The tricky part, of course, is that sometimes you're trying to put yourself into a hole. And so you have to ignore the signals your body is sending you to a point. Um, when you're coming out of a week where you've gone deep into a hole and you want to recover, I think there is a conversation you have to have with yourself every day. You wake up, you see how your legs feel, you walk down the staircase, you sense what's going on in those legs. You maybe look at your mood, your appetite, all of these things factor into, am I ready to get back to training? Do I need more time? It's, uh, But it's not there is no perfect formula for that. And I, I'm sure no. you guys can speak to that as well, the, the, this, this conversation you have to have to get to that point.
2: I always tell my athletes when it comes to recovery week, you can't schedule it. You can't say I'm going to give myself five days and the legs are going to be ready on the sixth day. Your legs tell you when they are ready. And I have had recovery weeks where three days in, I'm feeling good and ready to go. I've had recovery weeks where after eight days, I'm still not there. So you really do have to listen to your legs. It's also really important to remember there there's two ways to talk about recovery. So there's the you just finished an event, you're beat up. So let's say the event finished on a Sunday and you have a stage race that's starting on the Friday. So you're trying to you know undo as much of the damage as you you can from that previous event. And be as ready as you can for the stage race. You don't want your body falling apart in between. You don't want the painkillers to clear out because you'll arrive on that Friday and get killed. So that's where it's less about adaptations. You want to keep the painkillers flowing. So you're going to really bring down the volume but still keep riding the bike. Maybe do one, possibly two short intensity sessions just to keep those painkillers flowing but let your body do some repair. The other type is that longer term. I've just done a whole bunch of damage and I want my body to fully adapt and get stronger from this. That's where you go, I'm going to take a longer period. I'm going to let my body fall apart and then get back to things. But in that scenario, you need to know it could be a week or two before your legs are going to be good to to go hard again.
0: Right. I think you want to take baby steps too uh, throughout that entire process. You don't want to go full bore in one direction. You also I think people get concerned if they take too much time off or recover for too long that they're just going to lose everything they just gained. And I know that that's not necessarily true, but there's a balancing act there.
2: Let me give you an example of something I just went through. So I did a race a few weeks back where I realized at the end of that race I had dug myself into a hole and I needed a recovery. And I was like, if I do this right, I should adapt from it. So I took a good five days off, um, took it really easy. Um, the Sunday, so the the one event finished on the Saturday. The, the following Sunday, I had a race that was Superior Morgul and went to that race thinking, "Okay, I've had I had a good six six days of recovery, and I lasted eighteen minutes." Mm-hmm. Just wasn't there, wasn't motivated, legs weren't there, it hurt, it felt lousy, and went, "Ah, okay, listen." <laughs> That, that was just dumb. Why would I show up? Mm-hmm. Then continue the recovery. So now you're getting a solid two weeks. Uh, and then so on this Sunday, so two weeks later, hopped on Zwift and put out the best numbers I've put out in two years. So yeah. that's how long it can take, but you can still see gains right. after right. that
0: length of time. Janna? Jana? Do you have thoughts on recovery? I know you come from a a different sport long ago. Does that inform how you think of recovery now?
1: Well, I've also been working on this podcast for over a year now, and I hear how much Trevor and you and all of our guests and Ryan will talk about how important recovery is. And I think I'm pretty good at taking recovery I will happily take days off the bike, not because I don't want to, but if the weather's bad. um, I don't really have a problem at this point in my my beginning training and taking time off. And I also like to do other things. Riding the bike for me is a big part of just being outside when it's nice. So if I know I've done a massive ride on Saturday, then on Sunday I'll go for a hike. And I did that recently and I was really sore after the hike, not Mm. necessarily the ride. And I know you know more active recovery, different different muscle systems. So um, I feel like that's going well for me. The maybe sometimes feeling bad for taking too much time off, like feeling lazy when I should be training. Don't so kind don't of, have
0: that mindset. So kind of don't go there.
1: Battling that, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, I'm going to start with you. You know that we like to close out our regular episodes with a 60-second take-home message from each of the guests. What would you say your take-home message is from your N1 challenge and the lessons you've learned throughout the training process?
3: So as a time-crunched athlete, I think you said it really well initially with having those weekly puzzle pieces to play with. And we know there's gonna be, there needs to be flexibility. It's fluid right? The, the training that we go through and the, the time we have. So my take home is to take that week that we have, any given week, and also look at the bigger picture to look critically at it and see if, based on your goals, see if that's really suiting them. So like I said, it's been season after season of achieving the same level of fitness but I've never wanted to sign up for something like Breck Epic for that big of an event. So this year I look at it as I want to do something different. I need to train differently. I need to adjust and it needs to feel different day to day. There should be a different feel to this. So we're really, I think, taking that critical look at things. Am I really doing things differently or am I still getting stuck in the same old routine that's going to leave me, fati- leave me fatigued by August? So that's my take home is just every once in a while, take that step back. If you're time crunched, you know the fluidity is involved. Take a step back, honestly assess things, and then decide if you need to make some adjustments to make things work more in your favor. Great. Jana?
1: Structured riding is a huge take home, learning how to ride fast, learning how to ride slow, learning how to look at different rides as either hard rides or easy rides. It sounds very simple, but when you're changing the way that you've ridden for whatever period of time, it's it's a big change.
0: Trevor, what do you got?
2: Getting to 90% is challenging, but it's fun, it's doable, and can be very rewarding. To get that extra 10%, if that's what you're trying to do, remember it is dangerous, it is hard, and it kills a lot of the fun. So make sure.
0: <laughs> that's that's not putting a very positive spin on that 10%. You sure you want to do this still? very rewarding
2: oh, if go. you accomplish it. So decide how much that's worth to you.
1: Chris, what's your one minute?
0: I think I could sum it up pretty quickly, and that is you need more recovery than you think you need. Um, I think that that is a, is a generalization, of course, but I think it, it, is a, it you can apply that more often than not, uh, especially after big races or big training blocks or a training camp that you've assembled for yourself, three day, four day, five day, whatever the case may be, you probably need more recovery than you think you do. And you just have to listen to your body to make sure you get it. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode and particularly the challenges that Ryan, Trevor, Jana, and I have taken on. We will be available to answer any questions about how much we're suffering through our training and preparation and so much more. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Coach Trevor Connor, Ryan Kohler, Jana Martin, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.